Well, folks, it's Jerry Adams here again. August Mars Grant is here to come, sir. Go with Shibsha. Good And again, just reflecting back on the week that has passed since the last podcast, I suppose the, the showing online of uh, the veil video showing members of the Orange Order mocking the murder of Michaela McAreevy stands out. And it has been very widely condemned, quite rightly. But in another video in the same week, Pastor Barry Holiday appeared on social media describing Catholics as rats that need to be murdered with rifles and grenades. Now, both of these actions are evidence of the existing underlying sectarianism within Northern society. And this has its roots in English colonialism and in the deliberate fostering by the British state in Ireland of the division between Catholics and Protestants. And the loyal orders have long played a a prominent role in promulgating this. That sectarianism still exists isn't surprising. Union's political leaders and their British allies often play the orange card as they seek to maximise their electoral vote or secure an advantage in a negotiation. And since partition, there are few Catholic families in the North that have not had the direct experience, or they at least know someone who's had the direct experience of sectarianism, of discrimination in employment or housing, of collusion involving unionist death squads, the B-Specials, the UDR, the IUC, the British Army, or of pogroms. That's been the history of this place until recently. And Orange marches with their Kick the Pope bands and sectarian songs like the Famine Song. The posters of nationalist politicians or of religious statues being placed on bonfires and satellite, and then this desire to parade triumphantly through our past areas and neighbourhoods and communities that don't want them, all of that has been long part of the nationalist experience. And in the midst of all of this, something shines out. The dignity and the grace of Michaela's family is an example to us all. Words like abhorrent or shameful or despicable readily spring to mind when sectarianism raises its head. But we have to go beyond the rhetoric, have to go beyond the condemnation. If society is serious about challenging sectarianism, the fact is we need to tackle it. The fact also is that sectarianism is written into the DNA of the northern state. The celebration or commemoration of the centenary of the Northern Ireland and the Orange Hall event, which was part of this, are just cases in point. It's also important to note that those involved are a small, bigoted minority. But they have to be stood up to. So what to do? The reality is that sectarianism will not be wished away. It cannot be ignored. The starting point must be positive leadership from political, cultural, religious and civic society. 
The law and the enforcement of the law also has a crucial role to play in this. And that means a new legal definition of sectarianism entrenched in law with legal sanctions and robust incitement to hatred provisions. All cultural celebrations and expressions should be governed by the principles of respect, equality and parity of esteem. And the allocation of all public funds must be dispersed fairly and proportionately and on the basis of mutual respect and sensitivity for the identities and aspirations of others. Bigotry and sectarianism should not be publicly funded. It should be illegal. James Connolly is one of my heroes. He was a socialist, a Republican, a writer, a thinker, a trade union leader. He fought for the rights of workers and against their exploitation. He joined with Pierce and Clark and Kent and others in the Irish Republican Brotherhood. At Easter 1916, to strike for Irish freedom and for the right of the people of Ireland to independence and self-determination. James Connolly was feminently anti-sectarianism. He was working in Belfast, so he had experienced at first hand the despicable way in which sectarianism was used by unionist and business leaders to divide workers. Arisa Canela on the Falls Road is a unique tribute to Connolly. It's an exceptional historical and educational interactive experience containing artifacts from Connolly's life and from the 1916 period. It's close to one Glenlina Terrace, which was his home for the last five years of his life. Last month, the Royal Society of Ulster Architects named Aris Akinela as the building of the year. The distinctive portrait of James Connolly on the perforated metal gable wall also won the Integration of Art Award. <coughs> last Saturday, Frank Connolly, author, SIP2 leader and one of Ireland's leading investigative journalists formally opened the Llorlan e Canila, the James Connolly Library. The library, which is situated on the first floor, is a welcoming space in which the visitor can sit and read some of the many books available. It contains accounts of Connolly's life, including those by his daughters Nora Connolly O'Brien and Ina Connolly Hearn, as well as the works written by the man himself. It also contains books on politics in Ireland and internationally. In his remark, Frank Connolly, no relation, described James Connolly as an extraordinary socialist agitator, writer and anti-imperialist revolutionary. He was killed, not just, Frank went on to say, not just for his role in organising the Easter Rising as commander in the GPO of the Irish Volunteers and the Irish Citizen Army, who combined during those weeks to form the Irish Republican Army. It was also because he was a threat to the capitalist class. But the conversation wasn't all serious. Frank recalled a letter sent by James Connolly to his future wife, Lily. In it, he wrote, It's such a long time since we met, but I trust we will meet, depart no more. Won't that be pleasant? By the way, if we get married next week, I shall be unable to go to Dundee as I promised my fellow workmen in the job, are preparing to strike at the end of the month for a reduction in the hours of labour. As my brother and I are ringleaders in the matter, it is necessary we should be on the ground. 
His daughter Ina remarked, I've always thought it the hallmark of my mother's character that she should accept the hand of a man who could mention wedding plans and strike action in the same letter. Lurlan e Canila is now open for those who want a quiet place to read, to think, to write. Its museum experience is amazing and I would strongly encourage readers, if you haven't called yet, to make it a point of visiting Aris O'Canila. It's situated on 37, sorry, 374 to 376 Falls Road. And you can make a booking by ringing 02890-991-005 or email information at rsocanila.com. So there you go. Frank did a great job. James Connolly did a wonderful job. And Aris O'Canila continues to spread the gospel. And I'll finish as I've done a number of times with a, an appeal of support for Leonard Peltier. This week I wrote again to Leonard Peltier. He's the Native American rights activist who's been in prison for 46 years. Regular readers will know that over the years, this column and this podcast have picked up on his wrongful arrest. He's America's longest serving political prisoner. He was convicted in 1977 of the killing of two FBI agents at the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. He's always protested his innocence. I am not guilty, he says. I want to go home. Last year, James H. Reynolds, the former U.S. Attorney General, whose office handled the prosecution in the Leonard Peltier case, appealed for Leonard's sentence to be commuted. In recent months, three Democratic senators, Senator Pat Leahy, good supporter of Ireland, good friend of Ireland, Senator Bran Schwartz and Senator Maisie Harona, urged President Clinton to show clemency and to free Leonard. President Clinton actually has the opportunity to do the right thing. In an interview recently with HuffPost, Leonard said, I'm not guilty of this shooting. I'm not guilty. I would like to go home to spend what years I have left with my great-grandkids and my people. So if you have a minute, write a letter or send a card. Don't forget about Leonard Peltier. You'll get him at Leonard Peltier. 89637-132 USP Coleman US Penitentiary PO Box 1033 Coleman, Florida 33521 USA And in honour of Leonard let's hear a song about another Native American a hero Ira Hayes and here we have Johnny Kaish singing the ballad of Ira Hayes. Slan live, keep the faith, Gunyuri and Ta Libsha Gulyar. Call him. 
them drunken Myra Hayes, he will answer any more. Not the whiskey-drinking Indian, nor the Marine that went to war. Gather round me, people, there's a story I would tell About a brave young Indian you should remember well From the land of the Pima Indian, a proud and noble band Who farmed the Phoenix Valley in Arizona land Down their ditches a thousand years, the waters grew Iris people's crops Till the white man stole their water rights and the sparkling water stopped. Now Ira's folks were hungry and their land grew crops of weeds. When war came, Ira volunteered and forgot the white man's creed. Call him drunken Ira Hayes, he won't answer anymore. Not the whiskey-drinking Indian or the Marine that went to war. There they battled up Iwo Jima Hill, 250 men, but only 27 lived to walk back down again. And when the fight was over, and old glory raised, among the men who held it high was the Indian, Ira Hayes. Call him drunken Ira Hayes, he won't answer anymore. Not the whiskey drinking Indian, nor the Marine that went to war. Ira Hayes returned the hero, celebrated through the land. He was wined and speeched in honor. Everybody shook his hand, but he was just a Pima Indian. No water, no home, no chance. At home, nobody cared what Ira had done. And when did the Indians dance? Call him drunken Ira Hayes, he won't answer anymore. Not the whiskey-drinking Indian, nor the Marine that went to war. Then Ira started drinking hard. Jail was off in his home. They let him raise the flag and lower it like you'd throw a dog a bone. He died drunk early one morning, alone in the land he fought to save. Two inches of water in a lonely ditch was a grave for Ira Hayes. Call him drunken Ira Hayes, he won't answer anymore. Not the whiskey drinking Indian or the Marine that went to war. Yeah, call him drunken Ira Hayes. But his land is just as dry, and his ghost is lying thirsty in the ditch where Ira died. <laughs> <laughs>